You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Hmm. You know, uh, before we get started, just a couple, th- couple requests this morning. On the front side here, no pictures. We, get, we good with that? Everybody catch that? I'd like no pictures. There's a designated portion of this where I don't want any pictures taken. And I want to encourage you until we get through that designated portion to stay here until I'm done with that. And then I'll let you know when you can take pictures again, okay? I, I'm a little uh, hot this morning. I brought my own fan, so I think I'm just going to get a little bit more comfortable here. Well, this feels good. You know, I'm still a little warm. Feels a little bit better. This just isn't getting it. Now I'm feeling pretty comfortable. There's still a few jeers. I don't know what it is. I I mean, isn't this how our society functions today? For those of you, and I'm not, let me, I got to think carefully today. I'm a little ADD, so my mouth can get ahead of me, so I need to really think this through. But there were definitely some when I had the Hillary t-shirt on that seemed to have been a little pleased. And I think there were probably a number of people that weren't. Then I put the Trump t-shirt on, and, uh, I think it got a little bit louder in here. I'm not quite sure. And yeah, I'm, I don't know if it was because of disapproval or approval. And, and this seemed to kind of, this one kind of mellowed things out a little bit. But I, I know there are definitively some of you like Rico that would majorly take issue with his shirt. But I, I've just got one thing to say. You know, I don't even need to say it. What does it say? Enough said, baby. They got six of them. I know there's a couple times over the last few years I was thinking that somebody may catch us, and it may happen at some point in time, but do you guys get how polarizing things can be, whether it's politics, sports, school, whatever it is that's in the media, drugs, fences, short, tall, with holes in them, people get upset, and it's polarizing. And to me, one of the bigger issues is just thinking through all the issues, one, I mean, what are some of the things that really put people in the separate corners? Abortion, same-sex marriage, immigration, taxes, debt, social security, the military, spending, gender stuff, genderless bathrooms, foreign policy. And when it comes to all these things, they're elephants in the room. They create huge issues. Sometimes... We engage in discussion when it comes to the elephant in the room. And generally speaking, how well can that go depending upon who's in the room with you? You know, I think there's a reason they say not to talk about church and politics. And I appreciate Jericho's communion this morning. I think ultimately what we saw with what took place with Jesus Christ was him dealing with both issues. He went to a cross because of how uncomfortable he made the politicians of his day feel. He went to the cross because of how uncomfortable he made the religious leaders of the day. But he took a stand, and he had a purpose, and he saw it through. You know, when it comes to politics, 
I think when it comes to the elephants in the room, this is probably one of the uh, crazier issues uh, that we're going to be dealing with through the series. Politics are never neutral. Some of us can be obsessed with politics. You know, we, we're on every single blog and podcast, and we listen predominantly to AM radio, to and from work. You know, you may have certain media choices. You know, there's those of you that like the Fox Network. Some of you might be One American, MSNBC, CNN. Even the naming of those stations can be polarizing. Some of us swing to the other extreme where we'll vote, but that may be the total part of our investment ever. The question we need to ask ourselves today is, as fully devoted followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, what is our role in politics? Who would Jesus vote for? WWJVF. My wife got it. Amen, babe. I appreciate the laughter there. You know, on this note, too, I just wanted to thank uh, Rick Huerta. Uh, he called me a couple days ago, and when he heard about the series that we were doing, and he thought all the ministers involved were pretty brave, and, you know, when it came to the types of topics that were being dealt with, he wanted to encourage me, pray for me, and, amen, I, I really appreciate that. I, I don't get a lot of those calls, and in light of the topic, I'm very, very grateful for it, because I walked up here with total peace this morning, so thank you, Rick. But we need to ask ourselves today, what is our role in politics? You know, it's kind of interesting. When we go back through history, politics, government, rulers, we, we have all this stuff going back to the first century. Pax Romana means Roman peace in Latin. And you know, the, the Romans by and large did a pretty good job of maintaining the peace. And this is kind of the why behind it. Roman peace was peace by force. It's really kind of interesting. There's an individual in history by the name of Spartacus. There was a huge revolt of about 30,000 slaves. And what you're looking at here is an artist's rendering of the Apian Way in that there were 6,000 prisoners that were crucified and lined the streets of that Roman trade route after the Third Servial War about 71 B.C. Think it got people's attention? Pretty good form of social media right there, right? Going down the street, go home and let people know what it is you've seen as you've come back into town. And as the Roman Empire grew, control became something that was harder and harder to do just because of the sheer size of things. So they came up with a number of different ways to maintain that control. And Caesar Augustus was pretty good at it. He realized he couldn't control everything. So what he did is he established provinces or client kingdoms which were run by independent or dependent kings depending upon the situation. And this was set up to establish the rule during that day. Now, King Herod, many of us are familiar with, was one of those kings. He was militant. He was brilliant. He was brutal. Uh, from a biblical standpoint, we know that he was responsible for the killing of all the male infants under the age of two, Matthew 2.16. But it goes on from there. He was an equal opportunity offender when it came to killing people. He murdered three of his own sons, his mother-in-law, and his second wife, according to the historian Josephus. Herod, this, this one too, is just kind of mind-boggling as far as a narcissist and a psychopath and the rest of it. When he died, he wanted to make sure that there was mourning in the streets. So the direction that he gave his people at that time 
his government leaders was that you need to go out and you need to go kill a bunch of religious leaders because that will assure me of the fact that on my death there will be mourning in the street. A little further thinking than most of us would go, but I mean, it's just crazy. And we think, we look at our political arena and we look at how polarizing it is. Really? We live in a country where we're free. We're in a country where it's okay to meet like this. We're in a country where we have the opportunity to pray. We look at what Jesus was going through during his period of time. He knew the death that he was going to go to. He knew exactly what was going to take place, but that never once swayed him from his direction. It never once distracted him from his focus on what he knew it was going to take so that each and every one of us would be united with him. And when it comes to the, the social media aspect of this today, I get it when it comes to the secular world, people will be divided. People will say and do nasty things to one another. Where I get concerned as a minister is when we have brothers and sisters that are part of the same church. They get caught up in this, this fury about opinions and taking sides and saying things that are at the very least ungodly, but in a lot of ways, even from a secular standpoint, incredibly offensive. That wasn't what Jesus was about. And if we're really imitating Jesus, that's not what we're to be about as well. I mean, people, if I hear one more person say, duh, 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 I'm unfriending them. Christians, it's crazy. And again, I, I wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit from a historical standpoint to see that we need to be grateful for the freedom we have. More, more, most importantly, who we have the opportunity to worship and who came and died for us 2,000 years ago and really set us an example as to how we would conduct ourselves. So my goal today is to kind of take a look at Jesus in a number of different situations. And I think you'll understand by the time it's all said and done, he didn't have a problem engaging in the political sphere, but he did it in a way that would please God. Luke 4, verse 42. Or excuse me, uh, John 6, I'm sorry. Jesus hits the scene... And with that, as Jesus does, he started to attract people. You know, there were miracles that he was performing. There were people that he was feeding. There were people that were being healed. So all of that kind of grabs a little bit of attention. And John 6, verse 14, says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. We see right here at the beginning, what Jesus was doing was already starting to polarize people. And if people had been a little bit more aware of the scriptures and the fact that there would be a Messiah that would come and deliver his people they would, have understand, they would have understood at this point in time that it wasn't a physical kingdom that Jesus was talking about. But the, the, the primary driver here was, as Jews, we need to kick these Romans out of Israel. They overtax us. They enslave us. They, they rough, roughshod on us. Jesus wasn't about that. It's like, I got... I, 
Nothing to do, I have absolutely no desire to engage on this level politically. In Luke 4, verse 42, again, with that, Jesus is just knowing the intent of the people. They wanted an earthly kingdom. Jesus wanted to establish an eternal kingdom. Luke 4, verse 42. So as the day break, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for them. They came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. At this point in, in Jesus' campaign, what does it we see that he's about? He wants to get the word out there. He's about preaching about God. And you know, I would imagine that it would have been real easy for him to stay in this town. He'd already shown with the, the respect of the people here, he was received well. That man, I'm sure his needs were being more than taken care of. But that it wasn't about comfort. It wasn't about ease. It wasn't about just becoming stagnant, but moving, getting out there, getting the word out to more people. And with this Reader's Digest version, fast forward a little bit, ultimately what this led to all the uproar with the people and the polarization that was taking place and the Jewish zealots, the religious leaders, the politicians of the day. It ended up with Jesus being brought before Pilate. Pilate was really wanting to find out what this guy was all about and he wanted to hear it from him firsthand. And what he wanted to know was, Jesus, what's your intention? Are you a king looking to overthrow the Roman government, the Roman Empire. So let's continue in John, 8, or 8, John 18, verse 33. John 18, verse 33, says, Pilate then went back inside to the palace, and he summoned Jesus, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? I think as we see in each passage that we go through this morning, Jesus stays on point. Jesus stays focused. Jesus is patient. Jesus is slow to respond. He is well thought out. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish, exactly where he's going, and he's not going to let the situations and circumstances around him get him off that path. Verse 36. Right here we see Jesus saying, focused, but entering the political arena to bring Pilate a message. Verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to pre prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With that, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, you may be wondering why I didn't want any pictures taken on the front side. Well, let me ask you this. And if you want to take pictures of anything from this point forward, feel free. You might want to wait until the band gets back up here on stage. <laughs> but imagine the response I would have been getting if you had taken a picture of me in a Trump shirt without any explanation out of context. 
And I don't know that there's a whole lot of people who would have gone online to listen to the message to find out why in heaven's name I was wearing a Trump t-shirt. Now I would venture to guess the very same thing would have happened if you had taken a picture of me with a Hillary t-shirt. And you know, it's funny, I didn't even really think this through until this morning, right before service, and Jackie was the one that came up with a brilliant idea about not having anybody take any pictures at a, up to a certain point. I appreciate you saving me a boatload of grief because I can generate enough of that on my own. <laughs> and you know, and I may get a few prods about this, but I could really care less when it comes to the Steelers, so prod away. You want to take pictures? I'll give you back shots. I'll give you arm shots. You can take the chest, whatever you want to do. John 18, Jesus is real clear. My kingdom is not of this world. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he was constantly preaching, trying to get the point across. But because of the weight of the Roman Empire, people didn't want to hear about an eternal kingdom. There were a few, but we know at the end of Jesus' ministry, 500 followers, maybe, because people wanted to deal with the here and the now. They didn't get eternity. But as Christians, as disciples, isn't that one of the main reasons we decided to make Jesus Lord of our lives? Because it ain't about the here and now. It's not about this earthly kingdom. It's about where we get to spend eternity. Jesus constantly was talking about the kingdom of God and why he came to earth, why he was born. With the coming of the kingdom, the power and the presence of God has been made accessible to all of us through Jesus, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords. God's kingdom. And this is what's amazing. And if any of you are really stirred up and stressed about what's going to take place in November, you may want to actually go to this message and listen to it a few times. But I think the thing that's so key here is that God's kingdom transcends earthly politics, popular culture, geographic boundaries, languages, racial and generational issues. And when it comes to politics, Jesus gives two directives which will help us navigate those waters as well. Number one, as we saw in verse 36, when it comes to followers of Jesus, do we fight? Take a look at the, take a look at the verse again. Verse 36. What does he say about his followers? Do we fight? No. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, when it comes to the likes of politics or any of the stuff that's going on out there in the social media, if you get to the point that you're so agitated that you're looking to rip somebody's face off, verbally or physically, there's a problem. Jesus says, my followers don't fight. Why? They understood it wasn't about that earthly kingdom. It wasn't about the Romans. Now, Peter still took a little while to catch that one. But we're going to take a look at a passage in 1 Peter a little bit further into the morning, and you'll get it. Peter finally got it. But when they came to, get, when they came to take Jesus away to prison, what was Peter's response? Pulled out a sword and whacked off an ear. What did Jesus do? Corrected him and reattached the ear. It's not what he was about. So Jesus' followers don't fight. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jews. Here's one for you that may be a little bit challenging to swallow this morning. 
Trump, Hillary. We get into a fight about anything political, I can say this unequivocally without a doubt, you have veered off the path of discipleship. We live in a society where people have been beaten down because of the jerseys they wear. Riots breaking out after sporting events. You know, I love Solomon because Solomon says it so appropriately. There is nothing new under the sun. You know, you, you think that the stuff that we got going on today, you know, the beatdowns that take place in arenas and referees that are shot south of the border and all these different things that can go on, this is something unique to us. Well, I don't know that there's anything in recent history that comes close to what took place with the Romans, but in 532 AD, there was a rivalry between supporters of the blue and the green chariot racing teams in Constantinople, and it led to 30,000 deaths in the Nika riots. 30,000 people. Are you red? Well, I'm green. You're dead. 2011, Brian Stoll suffered permanent brain damage at a Dodgers game. Senseless. Ridiculous. And that's what happens when we veer off the path. Jesus' followers don't fight. You know, and I'll be making this point probably a few times this morning as well. If there were more of us, there'd be less of what we see in the media today. Number two, Jesus came for a very specific reason, and that was to proclaim the truth. The world we live in is tricky. Does that mean we don't have an opinion? Does that mean we avoid proclaiming the truth? See, there is a tension out there, but we've got to navigate this with humility, grace, and truth. Jesus ushered in a different type of kingdom with a different kind of agenda. The primary agenda of Jesus Christ wasn't to establish laws to change lives, but to change lives by changing hearts. Again, Jesus' primary agenda wasn't to establish laws to change lives, but to change lives by changing hearts. And we talked about this earlier in the year, the temple model. The temple model was about generating laws and regulations and rules and checklists. The Jesus model was about the heart, love, concern for others, concerns for one another. Not about winning in this world, but winning souls for the next. And I get it. We live in a fallen, broken world. I'm a product of that. All of us are a product of that. Even if your life was perfect as a child growing up, you can thank Adam and Eve for ushering a lot of what we have to deal with today into the world because they didn't trust God. They listened to Satan. And when it comes to this brokenness, there's a lot of brokenness, either among us or around us. And the thing that I love so much about Christ and the thing that I love so much about his church is this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. Amen? It is. If there wasn't an understanding of my brokenness and how much more I could get from life by being surrendered to Christ, by applying biblical principles to my life and really striving to imitate Jesus, I never would have gotten away from the brokenness. And there's still issues. There's still things I'm working with. But you know what? 
I'm amongst a group of people that are willing to help and engage me in those areas where I need help. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so much more of a man today at the age of 58 than I was at the age of 32 coming into the kingdom. I've got purpose. I'm passionate about this. I love the fact that God sent Jesus to die for me. And the only agenda was so that I have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. That's amazing. We need God's grace to understand that the brokenness that I'm talking about here, which will give us the opportunity to heal and come to Christ and then help others, turn and help others do exactly the same thing. And the thing that I love about God is we're here for a reason. And all the different shapes, sizes, ages, and ethnic backgrounds that we're a part of, ultimately, people matter to God. We all matter to God. God's slogan would be Jesus matters, which tells us people matter. Amen? Right here, people matter to God. Broken people matter to God. Healthy people matter to God. Wealthy people matter to God. Poor people matter to God. Old people matter to God. Young people, broken marriages, healthy marriages, whatever it may be, you all, we all matter to God. And as we move through this wonderful season of elections, I think for each and every one of us sitting here this morning, we need to understand that God cares about his kingdom, God cares about his people way more than we care about our candidates. See, we really love Jesus. Should we or shouldn't we be involved in politics? What should our role be? God wants everyone to be an eternal citizen of his kingdom. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this, this, this thing where there's, he wants to continue that connection. It isn't just about getting wet and, you know, be well warm or be warm and well fed. He wants an ongoing relationship. So he lays it out right here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We, we've got to derive comfort from this. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Got some stuff happening in November. You know what? God's here with us right now. God's going to be with us right then. God's going to be with us after that. Our God cares about people. God was motivated and driven out of love for us. Jesus was driven and motivated out of love for us. Our God cares about people. All people matter to God. That's why Jesus was sent. He was sent to die for us. Jesus matters. Why? Because our lives matter to God. What we do makes a difference, especially when it comes to making disciples and loving people. What matters more than how we vote is how we choose to live. Not just as citizens of the kingdom of God, but of the United States as well. We need to be involved in our communities. We need to be involved in the workplace. Everywhere we go, if there's something that should fire us up, is people talking about us derogatorily because we're Christians. 
not because we're hypocritical Christians, but because they can see a difference between us and everybody else they work with, everybody else they go to school with, everybody else that they see in their neighborhood when they come home. Colossians 4, verse 5, gives us some direction on interaction and involvement. Paul says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, when Paul's talking about outsiders, what's he talking about here? He's talking about people that haven't surrendered to Christ yet. People that are outside the body of Christ. So is he telling us that, what do we see here? Are we not supposed to engage people outside of the church? No, quite the contrary, but he gives us some very wise direction as how to engage those people. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. When it comes to the degree of involvement, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer who? everyone and God arms us he gives us the ability to do just that why the Holy Spirit resides within us we've got God's word we have Jesus example we're loaded for bear baby we've got all we need to have an incredible impact everywhere we go if you're bickering with your co-workers about who's running for president aren't you just like everybody else and it's interesting, as disciples, I don't know what it is. You go into a restaurant, you know where the disciples are seated. <laughs> we, 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 I'm not even going to go there, but we're the loudest group pretty much anywhere you go. <laughs> How much more so being loud for the right reasons? See, it tells us, again, that we can go from problem to opportunity. How can we have a conversation with someone outside our faith dealing with hot topics? Here's some of the guidance that comes through in this passage. Guidance for quality conversations. Number one, he starts out in verse five, be wise. For me, being wise means listening very intently to what's being said, not trying to formulate a response before I engage, which is one of the reasons I have a few challenges in my marriage. I seem to be relatively good at applying that to other people, not so good at the people under my household, under my roof, my wife, my kids. You know, and, and again, I don't, I wanna, I don't wanna say that lightly. What this tells me is I need to do a better job when it comes to slowing down and listening and being wise in all situations, even more so when it comes to my family members. So number one is humility. Why? Elephants are kinda big, right? You got an elephant in the room, is there potential for somebody to get hurt? How many of you have entered, you don't have to raise your hands, I just want you to think about this, it's kind of rhetorical. How many of you have been in a situation where, whether it's church, politics, whatever, where you got so heated in the conversation or somebody got so heated with you, you don't have that relationship anymore? That's what happens when we enter, we enter into these kinds of interactions without being wise. I mean, you don't have to go very far to see it. Some of you have been on the receiving end of unfriend, or some of you have unfriended just for that very reason. And this is how damaging it can be when we don't think through our interaction before it comes out of our mouth. James is real clear on the, how powerful the tongue is. We need to really embrace that and realize that. And guys, again, it's not just the political arena. Some of you in your marriages today are dealing with 
challenges because you're very quick to point out the shortcomings and the faults of your spouse without taking a look at yourself and taking personal responsibility for what you can to help move that relationship in the right direction. That's humility. You know, if you spend 20 minutes defending your posture, if you're in a time of discipleship where there's mentoring going on, rather than listening to what's being said, there's a humility issue. And I can say that because that's been me on a number of different occasions. You know what? I never walk out of those situations holding my head high, you know, doing the victory dance. I won. Humility enables you to do that because you're doing something that's pleasing to God and it moves relationships in the right direction. So we need to be self-aware about how, I, I put in my notes, I, we, I, we, we need to be self-aware about how I interact, how we interact, how my viewpoint resonates with someone else. Having the ability to enter into a conversation without being concerned with whether or not I'm going to win it or not. I mean, it's so amazing. We get going, we get a little bit of the juices going, the adrenaline, you know, the dopamine, endorphins, whatever. We're feeling great. And we're just going after it. And, you know, you may be wondering why someone looks sad or someone storms out or, you know, and they're not returning your texts or phone calls anymore. We've got to be more concerned about there being a balance in those interactions. My airtime versus their airtime or point of view. You know, am I trying to control the conversation without being willing to hear the other side? It hurts to be stepped on by an elephant. I, I, I do want to ask you this. How many of you guys have ever felt like you've been steamrolled in a conversation or have steamrolled someone else? Look around. It's, keep, keep them up for a second. I want everybody to look around. I mean, you know, you know, we're not unique in this. This seems to be something that we all could learn to do a little bit better job of. That's why we need grace. Because there's those instances where I can be a steamroller. There's those instances I've been steamrolled. And without grace, Satan can do an incredible job of getting in there and destroying anything that resembles unity. So grace, why do we need grace? Because it hurts to get stepped on by an elephant. Why? It hurts when we're stepped on by an elephant when it comes to sometimes interactions that are anything but loving. We need grace. The need for grace. Even if we disagree or we say something that hurts, if we're hurt by what is said, we've got to understand that my elephant can hurt your elephant. And with that, we all need grace. Amen? Final one in this is truth. Because elephants respond to training, seasoning with salt. Elephants need training. Yelling and screaming doesn't work. A number of years ago, I uh, adopted a Siberian Husky pup who uh, had been in a very abusive situation. If I were to so much as raise my voice at that dog, she would tuck tail and start shivering. I mean, I, I remember a couple times where just our interaction in our house could be a little loud. It wasn't directed at her and just seeing her curled up on the couch like, what the heck's going on? But she responded to love. She responded to soft words. And this dog that had been beaten because she was destructive, I don't, did she ever destroy anything in our house? One of the other ones did a good job of that, but lady was amazing. She just wanted to love and please us. And it's the same thing when it comes to our interactions with others, really thinking through how we're talking. You know, when it comes to salt, it's a seasoning, right? Do you need a dump truck full to season a dish? You need a pinch. 
And, you know, I was kind of, you know, a little, I, I don't know, I'm annoyed at myself. Um, you know, I spent some time smoking up some food for the family. And uh, I got this new rub. And I think my mistake was I butterflied the chicken so it was really thin. I hit it with the rub. And Jackie's like, man, that stuff is salty. I can't even eat this. <laughs> Seriously? But she was right. The other day, I used some of it. I threw it in some eggs without any seasoning. The chicken seasoned the egg. So I guess there was a little bit of salt on it. But really understanding when we engage with other people, a little bit of salt. You don't need the dump truck full. Pay attention to the interaction. What's going back and forth as you're talking about things. And make sure it's founded in truth. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Truth means facts. You know, a number of years ago, there was some, something that I quoted in a, in a sermon. I can't, I've been trying to figure out what the specifics were on it. I couldn't remember, but Brian, Brian Gold, you know, had listened to one of my podcasts. He said, hey, bro, you know, I just want to bring something to your attention. You know, that particular quote that you made, um, I snopes it. It's not legit. <laughs> it sounded real good to me. It fit with the sermon I was using. But, you know, we've got to be careful. Sometimes that's how it goes with the things that we say. I mean, there's been some incredible ones over the years. You know, there's a brother in our church that moved to another place. I don't want to put his name out there. But he, he sent me this article, and I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, some other archaeological evidence that, that proves stuff from the Bible. And we got a ton of that, right? There's tons of archaeological proofs that substantiate the Word of God. And this particular one, you know, I, I know that, uh, who was it, James Cameron was doing some stuff in the Middle East, and, you know, they stated that uh, there was the, the Red Sea in this one particular area was super low, and these archaeologists who were diving came across all this weaponry from, you know, the Egyptians, and there were shields, and there were chariots, and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, man, there's a little bit too much stuff that these guys found, and why just now? So I snopes it. It's totally bogus. You know, Jackie and their, one of her women's messages had the, uh, you know, the little bobblehead Jesus thing. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. It's a little dash-mounted Jesus. And the, the, the title of this article was, Woman Dies with Jesus in Her Heart. And, I mean, people are like, dude, did you see this article? This is crazy. You know, she's driving down the street, and she's holding on to her little Jesus, and she hit something, and the, the airbag went off, and poof, Jesus was embedded in her heart. Snopes it, wasn't true. But, you know, I mean, who are we relying on? If we haven't checked, checked our sources, if we don't have the facts, should we really engage in some of these conversations? I mean, guys, if you're using Fallon and Colbert for your source material, and I, guys, I've had conversations with people, well, yeah, did you hear what was on Jimmy Fallon the other day? It's like, really? Okay. I just, you know, you might want to check that. You know, there's a thing, Snopes.com, just check it out. But as disciples, the underlying thing is here, we should have a lot to say. We need to use our influence. Remember earlier I was talking about Peter, and the thing with him cutting off the guy's ear? Check out Peter in this particular passage. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Now, again, it's kind of humorous when we know who Peter was and how he conducted himself. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Um, wasn't there a situation with Peter where he was kind of bailing on those guys and hanging with his Jewish buddies? But this is Peter now. Peter gets it. This is awesome. If he can, we can. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in any case where they speak against you, 
as those who do so is evil. They will. But by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. You know, again, uh, there were some government officials that came out to seize Jesus and uh, did he treat them honorably? Whacking off an ear, I don't know if that falls within that realm. Verse 15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You know, in Peter's era, they talked about issues. There were a lot of them. Politically, the religious establishment, you know, hey, we got these pagan Gentile guys. You know, Jesus, he's, we're, we're, you know, Abraham's kids. We're part of this whole Jewish thing. We're really going to pollute things by inviting the Gentiles on in. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. And we think through what's taking place today and some of the different issues we've got going on in our communities. Peter says, chill and trust God. You know, you ever think about it that maybe God can facilitate things through people that we look at and think, there ain't no days, man, I want that person sitting there close to a button in the White House. But isn't it possible that God could use that? That there could be a shift, an earthquake of morality? I think so. How many times have we seen it in the past? I mean, some of the classics for me, remember the Berlin Wall? Where's that today? I mean, just stuff that made absolutely no sense. Russia and all the issues that they had when it came to getting the gospel out there. A lot of the countries in the Middle East, the impact that's being made. Countries shifting their paradigm and their political spectrum. I look at it and I see, you know, there's an opportunity. God's behind that one. We need to trust there are no accidents when it comes to heads of state. It says, honor the emperor. I want you to just think before you react to this one. Honor Barack. Honor Hillary. Honor Trump. Can you think those words, let alone utter them? Isn't this what Peter's calling us to right here? You guys are having a hard time swallowing it. I think I heard Calvin. <laughs> See, we need to understand, wherever there's a breakdown of honor, there's a breakdown of blessing. God is not pleased with ungodly behavior. And, you know, honestly, who would know better than Peter? And this is what Peter's calling us to right here. Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Based on your conversations over the last few months, would that be the caption over them? I trust in God. Philippians 3, 17. It says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. We got a few of those enemies out there today? Of course we do. God's in control. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory 
is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in this life, we're going to influence people. The thing with influence is it can go one of two ways. We can influence them in a good way. We can influence them in a bad way. The question is, what kind of influence are we demonstrating as disciples of Jesus? Citizens of heaven, in the workplace, at school, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the latest social media is that I don't know anything about. How are we conducting ourselves in those places? What are we modeling? So with that, back to politics for a minute. When it came to the Romans, taxation of the Jews, the religious leaders thought they, they could use that political aspect of things to trap Jesus. Mark 12, verse 14. Whoops. Mark 12, verse 14. It says, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. A lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff going on here. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. And again, if you're wise, if you're humble, you slow down, you really hear what's being said. And I love the way he was able to bamboozle these guys. Jesus said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. He knew what was on it. They brought the coin and they asked him. Oh, and he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. See, the Jews had a problem with the fact that they had all this taxation money going to Rome rather than to the Jewish temple. And of course, the religious leaders were on the receiving end of all that. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and God what is God's. We need to remember whose we are as Christians in the U.S. We need to be willing to lose the argument here to win the battle for eternity. So how do we engage in meaningful conversations? 1 Peter 2, Peter tells us, use your influence. We're called to enter into conversations with respect. Our leading posture as we enter conversations needs to be out of respect and honor. Use your influence. And again, the thing that's key here, in the past there's been a lot of emphasis on evangelism and door knocking and malls and everything else. I've done it all. I've never found that to be hyper-effective. But the one thing that I have found that works always is being a Christian wherever you are. I don't do it all the time. You know, Jackie can attest to this, you know, I'll be at a stop sign and I'm definitively have got the right of way. And, you know, we, I'll go and you get the other person going at the same time and I'll go and they go and it's like, seriously? You know, well, that wasn't very Christian. Well, you know, it's, it's true. But who are we in school, teens? We use the same language everybody else does. We're looking at the same things on our smartphones as everybody else that we know isn't the right thing to do. Parents in the workplace, we getting caught up in the political stuff that's going on? Are we overly aggressive in the things that we say? Do we use the same kind of language that our coworkers do? And we know it's not pleasing to God. I mean, it may sound a little crazy. The biggest impact 
I had in the workplace for those that knew me before I was baptized into Christ with forgiveness of my sins was my mouth. I had more people comment on the fact and want to know why and thought it was really hilarious that I didn't cuss anymore. I had people bowing down to me. Oh, you're so righteous. But you know what? People became Christians there. People become Christians pretty much every place I've worked. And we all know, guys, what does it say in the handbooks? Most of the HR departments, is it, is it okay to proselytize at work? Every, every place I've worked in the last 10 years prior to coming on board here, again, it was terms for uh, termination. You engage in it, they'd fire you. But you know what? I never had so much had to open my mouth. Based on the way I conducted myself, people, you'll have a few that won't laugh and won't mock you, who are hopeless, who have got challenges with their kids, challenges in their marriages. Maybe they've got a daughter on heroin, whatever it is. There are people that'll pull you aside and say, dude, I need help. You, you got anything you can offer me? I see this in your life. I see that in your life. Can you help me? Can I come? I've had people invite themselves to my church. This place, guys, I guarantee you, this place would be full if we all were like Jesus everywhere we went. You've heard me share it before. I totally believe that Gandhi would have become a Christian. He had an opportunity. He was invited out to church, showed up, and he was denied entrance because of his color. And I'm sure that led to the quote, I love your Jesus, your Christians not so much. Our example is the thing that's key. We honor others the way God honored us through his son. I guarantee you this place would be full. Use your influence. Matthew 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It should be thrown out and trampled by men. Or as Marco Pelizzari would say, Stay salty, my friend. <laughs> Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light of truth isn't on a stand. If you don't take a stand on God's truth, you're putting it under a bowl. We need to be willing to engage. We are called to be people of influence. Pick a topic and let the word of God shine. Guys, the bottom line is government won't do it. Organized religion won't do it. Only personal interactions with people where you're demonstrating Christ will do it. Have an opinion. Make sure it's seasoned with salt. Use your influence. Second one's pray. First one's influence. Second one's pray. First Timothy 2. I urge you then, first of all, that the requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Our citizenship is in heaven. So let God use that to save others. And we, we've got to really understand this and believe this. God can, has, and will use whoever, whenever, whatever to accomplish his purpose. 
But first and foremost, the direction that Paul gives Timothy here is to pray. You know, are we praying about the things that we see that God would not be pleased with? You know, we've got brothers and sisters in the Middle East that can lose their lives for their faith. Are we praying that the world governments will facilitate times of peace so that the gospel will be unleashed in countries where our brothers and sisters are dying for it? And then finally, use your influence, pray, make disciples. You know, you think about Christianity in the first century. Jesus was walking. Zero power, zero clout, zero influence. And you know, there can be those times where we may feel that way today, in the moment. This is where Jesus stood before his ascension. We've got to use our influence, pray, and make disciples. Matthew 28 again, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus still holds that authority today. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Want to change the world? Want to change this craziness? Go make disciples. Where are you placing your hope today? What's going to rescue someone from fear or hopelessness? Jesus. What's going to rescue our country from the craziness? Only one thing. Jesus. Are your conversations about Jesus as frequent and as passionate as those you're having about Hillary and the Donald? Let me read that one again. Are your conversations about Jesus as frequent and as passionate as those you're having about Hillary and the Donald? If not, why not? Where are you placing your hope today? In the outcome of this election or in your election? 2 Peter 1, verse 10, make your election sure. Use your influence, pray, make disciples, and in closing, embrace hope. And with that, you will push the elephant out of the room. Out of the room. Romans 15, verse 13. Oops. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I appreciate again what Jericho had to say today in reminding us who Jesus is and what Jesus came for and the fact that we have a relationship with him because of the death that he was willing to go to because of the political and religious arena that he entered into. You know, thinking through all of this, what's going on in November? Will I vote in November? Of course I will. Do I expect anything to change? Absolutely not. Well, it's, it's for a very good reason. I expect nothing to change because the same God who is in control right now before the election will be the same God who is in charge after the election. Am I concerned about the out outcome? I'd be a liar to say no. But I'm encouraged to know that this world is not my home. And I, if I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room... My topic of choice in every conversation will be, where do you plan on residing for eternity? Does Trump matter? No. Does Hillary matter? No. 
but I've got something that will matter. Where do you spend on planning eternity? Where do you want to reside for eternity? I want to close with these lyrics. I think it's very fitting. And don't judge. It's an old Lutheran hymnal, but we've sung it. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Come join us next week as we continue in our search for the elephant in the room. God bless. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.